This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cavins. He's Greg, I'm Nick, Greg Bedard, Patriots podcast with Nick Cattles, as you know it, brought to you by betonline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. And uh, Greg, before we get into the Patriots, little Celtics minute here, your thoughts on them advancing to the NBA finals, which uh, will start tomorrow night, about 90 minutes down the road from me in San Francisco, Warriors, Celtics. Uh, what are you thinking? Well, I mean, first of all, um, you know, tremendous run by the Celtics to this point. I mean, just I mean, just an amazing season to go from where they were, like, you know, 23 and 24, whatever they were. They were just floundering, didn't know whether this current mix of players could work. And, and you know, everybody can blah in, you know, after the fact. But, I mean, those were legitimate concerns to bring up at the time. I mean, look at it now. This team has caught fire for half the year, is now in the NBA Finals, is in many corners favored to win the NBA championship, and this team was under 500. Obviously, there was something wrong with this team at this point, and I give a lot of credit, um, you know, as everybody knows from listening to this podcast, you know, I, I'm sort of a uh, a coaching, you know, coaching guru, so to speak, in terms of I love to watch coaches work and what they do and I you know I'm a, I'm a youth coach myself um, high school coach and and I just it's always been something that's uh, been uh, something I love to observe is coaches how they go about their business how they get the most out of their teams and and the job that Ime Udoka has done this year has been unbelievable I mean he basically took the baton where Brad Stevens um, you know couldn't get any further Yes, the team had to take a couple of steps back, which often happens with new coaches. But I think that his uh, he reminds me of Bruce Cassidy in a lot of ways, where and 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 also Belichick, I would say, and Cora, I would say, all of our coaches now in Boston, they all they all t- they all are tough on the players. They do, you know they they'll call them out, they'll hold them accountable. Um, you know, sometimes just behind closed doors, which is fine. Sometimes, you know, out in, in public. But I think that that accountability and coming from a guy like Ime with his background, his playing background, I think has been a huge difference this year. So as far as the Celtics' chances in the finals, look, I'll leave that up to you guys who watch a lot more NBA basketball. I don't know if I've watched the Warriors very much this year outside of maybe a little bit against the Celtics in the regular season. Um, all I know is this. Uh, the Patriots, uh, the Patriots, the Celtics in the three teams that they faced so far, those teams couldn't shoot a lick. I know the Warriors can shoot. So, you know, uh, to me, it feels like it, it's going to be a tough chore for them having to go on the road, even though they've been a r- great road team. But against a team with, you know, assassins from the outside like this team has, I think it's an entirely different challenge for the Celtics team. Well, as you know, this is kind of my wheelhouse, right? I mean, Hell yeah. I feel like I can talk all four, but the Celtics are my wheelhouse. So a couple of things. Yes, EMA on accountability. I was all over him early when it didn't look good uh, because he was just killing the guys publicly and it didn't look like they were responding to it. But yeah. the switch, I mean, literally the switch was flipped. And it was everybody will go back to that Knicks game, the dramatic R.J. Barrett shot off the glass over Tatum as kind of the moment they woke up. So, look, this is a very unpredictable run. 
and that's what makes it so fun. I think Tatum and Brown have answered a lot of questions. Oh, can they lead together? Are they the right two guys? That stuff was garbage. Honestly, I, I think they fit together. And I think Jalen Brown has, you know, subjugated his ego to be the number two guy because he knows Tatum is the dude. Uh, just, you know, to, to look back at early in the season, I think that's really where they transformed. And of course, smart has just been terrific defensive player of the year. And I think people, uh, including a lot of people in the media might've overlooked the tough year that Marcus had last year. He, he lost several people close to him. Uh, he was not in the greatest of shape. He took a step back defensively. Um, it, it looks like during the off season, he got himself in the right shape, uh, mind physically as well. So, you know, he's been really good. A couple things about this series. Number one, the Celtics need Robert Williams to be healthy. If he's healthy, he allows them to do what they want to do defensively, which is just switch nonstop and allow Williams to be that rover to contest threes. He's kind of the backline defense, but he's also the line of defense up top. If somebody misses an assignment, we saw him against the heat when he was healthier, you know, blocking shots from four or five feet away. He's literally one of only two or three guys that can do that in the league. So he is a game changer. He's an impact guy. Game seven, he wasn't healthy. Will the long layoff help him? And then the days in between help him? I hope so. That's the first thing. The second thing I would say is, you know, Golden State, what's fascinating about this matchup is neither team has really faced a team like they're going to face in the finals during this run. Uh, the Celtics have not faced a Warriors offense that is constant ball movement and man movement and never stops. They're 100 miles per hour, 48 minutes. And the Celtics are going to have to defend that consistently and make sure that they've got their heads on a swivel for back cuts and all that kind of stuff. But the Warriors have not faced the Celtics team. The, the Celtics are much more physical. They're bigger. They're more athletic. When you look at the Mavericks series, I watched every game of that series. You know, Maxi Kleber down low for Dallas. He's not a rim protector. He's not a big guy. Um, you know, when you look at a Horford or a Robert Williams, even a Daniel Tice, uh, who might play some minutes in this series. You know, when you look at what the Warriors have done and who they've done it against, they have not been able to, you know, go against that kind of physicality for 48 minutes night in and night out. And that's what the Celtics have done. I mean, the one thing you can say about this run for the season, the postseason, is just the physicality of it. You know, even against the Nets, a little less, but, you know, there was some physicality early on, but it kind of waned after game two. Kyrie checked out. That series was over, you know, for all intents and purposes. But these back-to-back seven-game series, Milwaukee, and then you had to go against that Miami team, those are two teams that will punch you in the mouth, and they will make you earn it. And the fact that the C's won both of those series in a game seven. You know, when you look at how they did it, they went to Milwaukee, win game six, then win game seven in dominating fashion. Then they have that awful game six against the Heat. They've got to go down to Miami for game seven. And they really, until the final couple minutes, dominated that game. They, they did not, you know, they did not trail once in that basketball game on Sunday. So I think there's a lot of interesting facets to this series for, you know, a basketball hardcore kind of guy like me. And, and I think it should go six or seven and it should be tightly contested. The one final thing I'll say before we jump into the Patriots, Greg, that concerns me about this series, the lulls. And even when the Celtics win games, even when they've been dominant, we saw it on Sunday. They tend to just kind of stall out offensively. And the ball sticks a little bit. They wait until six, seven seconds left on the shot clock to actually get into their sets. They walk the ball up. If they do that against the Warriors, 
the Warriors, if they get some stops and don't overlook, war, you know, Golden State's defense, they're, they're one of the top five defenses in basketball this year. If the Warriors come up with some stops and the Celtics go into one of those lulls, what might have been an 8-0 run for Miami or a 10-2 run for Miami can quickly become 16-2 for the Warriors. And all of a sudden, you know, you see that burst. So those lulls concern me. If the Celtics can get rid of those and have them less often, they have a legitimate shot to win this series. Uh, but it should be interesting. Nick, one thing on that and related to that, and I think we talked about it last week, and it's and it's reared its ugly head a little bit with this team. I think this is the ultimate referendum on how are the Celtics going to deal with success? You know, I, they, anybody can overcome adversity. How do you deal with success? And I think there are legitimate questions about if these guys are just too young at this point to deal with this. How how good are they going to feel about themselves, about winning the, you know, the Eastern Conference and be, just being – in the finals, you know, they, I, I have no problem with them celebrating a lot and enjoying it the other night. They should have, it was a very tough road, what they had to do um, to, to just to get to the NBA finals, but they need to be able to put that in the back burner, you know, and, and just, you know, you have to realize it's zero, zero. Now, nobody cares about how you got here at this point. It's what you do from this point on. So stop feeling good about yourself. Stop patting yourself on the back and worry about, what are we going to do to win this next game? Yeah, and I thought Ime did a good job in the locker room yep, after the game. he did. You know, he said, no, I don't need the water celebration, and Tatum said, F that, mm-hmm. and they still did it anyway. But but I did like Ime's message, and he said, you know, we don't hang banners in Boston for Eastern Conference championships. And and he told them, like, we, we've got to be able to look, enjoy this for a couple of hours, but we got to get back on that plane. We're flying across the country in the next couple of days. Like, we, we've got to quickly – uh, adjust and realize that this is the NBA finals. and We have a chance to do something special. One last note, I would say it's going to be compelling to watch. How much does Jordan Poole play for golden state? He's been fantastic offensively offensively for them for the last couple of months. He is a black hole defensively and with Brown and Tatum, I do wonder, you know, defensively the warriors, they'll do some switching and, They'll play some zone, get ready for a good amount of zone. They played zone against Dallas late in that series. I think they'll throw a good amount of zone at the Celtics offense to challenge them. But if they continuously attack Jordan Poole, you have Poole and and Curry's been a little bit better defensively, but he still has those size limitations against bigger, you know, physical athletes. It's a tough assignment. Clay Thompson is not the same guy he was three or four years ago. He's still pretty damn good but he has the wear and tear. He's not the same guy. So, you know, they have this PTSD lineup as they call it for golden state, which is, you know, uh, it's uh, what is it? Pool Thompson, Steph and Draymond, the PTSD lineup. You know, if you're going to play that the Celtics have some advantages. So the warriors have to figure that out defensively. Again, I think it's going to be, it should be a very good series. Let's get into the Patriots. Now, hopefully you enjoyed the Celtics. Uh, we say minute, but it was actually probably about 10 minutes. Hopefully y'all enjoyed that though. Let's jump into the Patriots. Uh, They got together on Tuesday. Yesterday, the media was there Uh, from what I read. And from what I've heard, Greg, not a ton happening yesterday. What'd you see? No, I, it was uh, to me, it was by far the most, um, you know, in terms of what I need to do, the most unproductive Patriots practice. I think I've, 
<laughs> ever attended outside of outside of like you know those walkthroughs after preseason games or something like that a couple where they're you know going over corrections and things like that and they kind of uh you know just sort of walk around and jog around it was like that and for them to do that um you know the second week at OTAs I've never seen that before then again Belichick switched up the schedule on us um this time around so Originally, we were supposed to see the third day of every three. There's three-day groupings of these OTA practices. Originally, we were supposed to see the third day of all of them, which is normally a pretty good day. Normally, it's they get after it. It's the last practice of the week, and then the guys go away for a long weekend. So that's normally pretty good. Bill switched it to the first day, um, both of the first two OTAs. And so that's normally a let's get our legs under us type of thing. And that's what it looked like the other day. It was much less competitive than the first day. I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was Belichick reacting to those guys saw too much the first practice, so we're not giving them anything this week, and uh, we just won't do anything on Tuesday, and we'll do everything on Wednesday and Thursday. I I, I don't know. It's possible. Um, you know, I do think that the good news for me and the good news for our listeners and our readers at BSJ is that after today and tomorrow, Wednesday and Thursday, then four out of the the final five practices for this team are open to the uh, open to the media. Nice. So there's no if if Belichick was trying to hide things from us, um, which is his prerogative. He's he's following the rules he can do whatever he wants he can't do that from now on i mean he's gonna have the mandatory mini camp for three days then we're gonna get access to another ota and um then they'll be off for the summer so it's it's getting to be crunch time here coming coming up um so not a whole lot to glean from the team as opposed to last week but uh you know we'll do our best to give you some nuggets here and there there were a number of guys who weren't there yesterday, but I, I want to start with two of them, two of the biggest dudes on this football team, Isaiah Wynn and Trent Brown, not there. And we've talked about the offensive line during the off season, Greg, and the fact that, you know, they went into the draft and, you know, they drafted a couple of guys really late in the sixth round or so. Uh, how, how much concern do you have first? I, I guess let's start with, with Trent Brown, because we want to dig in deeper with, with Wynn. A- yep. Any word on why Brown wasn't there? Is is there a personal issue? It, any any idea as to why he he wasn't uh, on the field? No, but knowing Trent Brown's history, it was a holiday weekend, and he probably decided to take an extra day. <laughs> but I will I will caution people, which is his prerogative. It's a, he's a veteran. It's it's uh, it's not mandatory. It's optional. Um, I will also point out that due to what's going on in this country right now um, in terms of the air, the airlines and things like that, there's been a lot of cancellations around the league. I've heard there's been a lot of teams that had OTAs this week that said attendance for some guys has been an issue due to flight cancellations. So that's always possible for some of these guys. It didn't used to be an excuse for Bill Belichick or the Patriots, but uh, we know Bill's a little bit more chill right now. But, you know, Trent Brown being there, uh, nothing I'm going to overreact to because um, he's he, he's always been uh, how do I term this um, I don't know an interesting player in terms of his attendance and commitment level at, at various places and that includes here at the end of last season where there were questions about his commitment to the team and so him mi- missing a day 
not or a couple not a big deal to me i think you 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 kind of know what you're going to get with trent brown and they also have the built-in weight clauses this year so if he doesn't want to work here he better be working at home or else he's not getting his money all right isaiah when the other guy is yep. it is it time to kind of look at this situation and start calling teams and seeing if there's anybody out there that would be interested in, in Isaiah Wynn? I think it is. And, uh, and, and here's a few of my reasons. And, and look, we don't know. Number one, we don't know why Isaiah Wynn's not here. It could be a personal issue. Um, you know, we, if that's the case, understandable. Um, and we'll probably take a large portion of this back. But the only thing I can do at this point is read the tea leaves. And number one, the number one tea leaf and tip off for me that this is not just, uh, you know, a personal thing is that at the first OTA, Trent Brown was at left tackle. Right. Okay. If, if the Patriots were cool with Isaiah Wynn, Hey, he's just missing it because of a uh, birth of a kid or a sick relative or something like that. And the Patriots were like, you know, we're good with Isaiah Wynn as our left tackle. Then you would have just had Trent Brown at right tackle getting his work in at right tackle and have somebody else at left tackle filling in. That wasn't the case. Uh, Trent Brown, after last year, never, ever practicing at left tackle, maybe outside of a snapper here too, uh, a snapper too, never practiced at left tackle last year. All of a sudden this year, the first OTA practice, He's a left tackle when Isaiah Wynn's not there. To me, that tells me that the Patriots are not sold on Wynn, that they have questions, that they at least want to look look at what does Trent Brown at left tackle at this stage in his career look like. Is it viable for us if we decide to go in that direction or not? I don't know the final results. Um, puzzle piece number two, uh, Mike Reese wrote about this in his notes this weekend, he wrote about Isaiah Wynn and in, and in the, you know, Mike's way, which is much nicer than anybody else on the beat. Um, you know, he basically, he basically asked the question, should, is the team looking to move on from Isaiah Wynn? He doesn't come out and say that Mike Reese did say that Isaiah Wynn missed OTA practices last week. That means he missed all of them. And I, you know, Mike Reese would know and he would hint at that if that was true and so you put that together with the third piece him not being there yesterday on Tuesday uh, I think there's an issue here and I think in in my mind and we sort of touched on it last week but what people have to remember is in April of May a, a year ago okay so what happens with these first round picks is the teams have to make a decision on guaranteed fifth year option a year out yep so in may about a year ago before ota started before anything started in the offseason last year the patriots had to make a decision on isaiah wins 2022 contract okay and so at the time the patriots didn't know any different they were like okay well you know isaiah wins had some injury issues but we think that's unlucky. We think he's a good player. And at $10 million for a fifth year for a left tackle, that's sort of middle of the road. About, about fits with his play. He's been about middle of the road left tackle when he's been out there. So we're going to pick up the option. But really what that does is it puts the teams in an unfair position 
Um, too bad because they have the advantage of almost everything on the contract front. But for this is one of the few times they're at a disadvantage. So they make the decision last year on Isaiah Wynn, and they're basically now held hostage for two years. Okay, because you've already guaranteed his contract for 2022. Yeah, you could trade him or something like that. Um, that's always possible. But put put yourself in the Patriots position. You're like, okay, they, they pick up his option. So he's the left tackle that year. All right, he misses some stuff. Okay, well, fine. You know, we haven't seen this out of him before. Well, we're sure he's going to be okay. He's going to report, you know, in, in shape, things like that. He'll have a good year this year. All of a sudden, Isaiah Wynn, after having his fifth-year option picked up, doesn't show up to much last year at all. And then he comes back. He comes to training camp. He's out of shape. They're not real happy for with him. First right. half of the year, he was not good. And all of a sudden, now they're unhappy with him. He finishes better at the end of the season. But they're already on the hook. They can't get rid of him. They're already on the hook for 2022. And you figure, oh, well, Isaiah Wynn's going to learn from 2021. Now we're back in the same place. So it, now, now the Patriots at least have options. But the only option, they can't cut him because they're on the hook for the $10 million. If they trade him, they get the $10 million back in cap space, which they need because they're up against it right now. But I think that in my mind, if Trent Brown looked okay at left tackle, if he gives you average play, which is what Isaiah Wynn is, I'm trading Isaiah Wynn. I'm moving Trent Brown to, to left tackle. I'm figuring out right tackle. Two things about when, first of all, it's concerning because of what happened last year. He didn't show up motivated this year, Like that has to bother you, right? He, he, like you, you went through it. You documented it. Not a, not a great start for him last year. Not a great off season, not a great camp season, yada, yada. And uh, here we are at OTAs and he's not around again. If there's a personal reason that we don't know, you already gave the disclaimer. I'll give the disclaimer on my end. If there's something going on personally, it's his business. Hope all is well, and this will get removed. This narrative will be ended. But looking at it from the outside, looking in, again, this is a guy who did not perform last year up to his level, and he doesn't show up at OTAs. The, you know, the first chance to show the team and everybody else that he's taking this seriously, he's not around. Secondly, it seems to be catching Bill Belichick off guard slightly, and the reason why I say that, I do wonder – Hindsight's 2020, right? Wednesday morning quarterbacking we're doing here on the podcast. But I, I do wonder, like, if you go back in time, would the Patriots have handled certain things differently? You know, would Ted Karras still be here? Would they have been more willing to fork over an extra couple of million bucks to keep steady Teddy here because you might have to move other guys to those tackle spots? Would you go back and, and maybe draft a, a tackle earlier than you did? in this, in this last draft in April, mm -hmm. because you know, you weren't sure. So the other troubling point, other than just the fact that Win should have been motivated and it should have had a chip on his shoulder and, and he seemingly reacted in the opposite direction is the fact that this seems to have caught bill Belichick off guard. And uh, you know, was the team ready for Isaiah Win to do this to them. It doesn't seem like they were. And so now an offensive line that we already had questions to begin with. Now you look at it and say, well, even more questions, you know, does Trent Brown slide to left tackle? Does he, 
you know, do you move Haran's left tackle? Now you have to maybe hope and cross your fingers that Stuber can be some kind of depth piece almost right away versus developing him over the next year. You've got to hope that maybe Hines is ready to kind of step in if you need him. So it puts the pressure on every other offensive lineman. David Andrews is not out there right now. You know, he's, he's missed some of the OTAs, if not all of them. So, you know, there are questions about this O-line and we had them before the draft. And I think we have even more of them right now, which is not where you want to be with this football team. And of Mm -hmm. course you look back, Greg, at that 2018 draft, you had two first round picks. And right now that draft doesn't look so good. No, you could have, they've already traded Sony Michelle could very well trade Isaiah Wynn. And, you know, Sony Michelle, certainly, you know, a good solid, you'd say that this both about both of them, good, solid players. First round picks? No, probably not. I mean, you know, you they could have had. We've talked about it before. Could have had Darius Leonard. Could have had Nick Chubb. Could have had DJ Moore. Uh, can you just imagine this team with, you know, Darius Leonard at linebacker out of that draft? Nick Chubb, you know, could have been your feature running back if you wanted that. Mark Andrews, the tight end uh, in Baltimore, went in the third round in that draft. Um, you know, it, it's it, it just remind it reminds me a lot of the 2015 Bruins draft where they had those three first round picks. And it's sort of like, you know, you get those multiple first round picks. You're banking on this has got to be the baseline, the, the, the base of our future for this team. And both teams just were not effective enough with those picks. And they're both paying the price right now. We'll get into some of the other guys that have been missing in a minute or two. But first, Greg, tell the fine people listening and watching this podcast about betonline.ag. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, woof, Red Sox, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and, of course, your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's really easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up today and use our promo code CLNS50, that's CLNS50, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, so let's get back to some of these guys that were not there yesterday. Uh, James White uh, was was not really around. Your thoughts on James? Any, I mean, obviously he's got the hip, and he was out there last week doing some stuff, and and people were happy to see that. But uh, now you're you're back here again, and he wasn't necessarily around. So your thoughts on the James White deal? Yeah, I think that um, it's tough to tell. He's been a veteran for so long that I don't worry about those guys. Um, you know, I, I came out with my first 53-man roster, which we'll talk about in um, question of the day. And uh, I had James White on the team, which yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm just guessing at this point. Um, right. But a lot of people wanted to be like, oh, well, he can be on Pup or this. I don't know. He was out there. He did some drills the first day. So to me, that sounds like he's cleared. They're just slowly bringing him along. But I think he's been cleared to play. So I don't think that uh, James White can end up on, you know, pop to start training camp or anything like that. I could be wrong. Um, I, I wasn't exactly watching the running backs a lot in that first practice. But 
I could have sworn that uh, James White was doing some things, which leads me to believe that he has been cleared by the medical staff. Judon not around, no big deal, just a veteran thing? Yeah, I mean, it's I, I, you don't love it, um, especially the way that he finished last year. And he talked about wanting to be in you know better shape and finish stronger and that sort of thing at the end of last year. And he admitted his part in, in the downturn of his production. Uh, again, another guy who's been in the league for a long time, so you don't hate it, but it, it'll be, we'll be watching those guys very closely when it, when it comes to mandatory mini camps, these veterans to see what kind of shape they're in. Uh, I'm the type of guy who likes everybody there, uh, but you know, it is what it is. Any other guys missing that you, you know, took note of and, and are interested in their absence? Uh, well, yeah, Devon Godchow, not there. Um, considering his season last year and what he has at stake and what he has at stake for this team because they need him to be a really good guy. Again, you know, Nick, you just talked about and we talked about in the lead-up to the draft got to get a tackle because you don't know what the options are at tackle, like a good tackle that could play right away if needed, you know, because of Isaiah Wynn, fifth year, Trent Brown, his weight issues and his injury issues. Do they draft a tackle up high? No, they take Andrew Stuber, who a lot of people don't think can play in this league. I don't know. Maybe he can. I like this film a little bit. Um, but also the same thing with nose tackle that we said you got to get a nose tackle because Devon Gottschall right now is your only nose tackle on the roster. And if that doesn't work out, how the hell are you going to stop the run? And, you know, here we are. Gottschall is not at the second OTA, which, you know, they're out there with Carl Davis and Daniel Ekawale. And, you know, that's pretty much it, what they have, you know, on the inside. Lawrence Guy was back, which was good um, to see. But another, I would say left tackle, we're back in the same spot, Nick, you know. <laughs> Left tackle and nose tackle are still like two of our biggest worries about this team and two OTA sessions into it. We're still here. Yeah. And my binky Akeem Hicks, of course, signs with the uh, Buccaneers. And oh, which it's okay, Nick, it's okay. You want to hug? Made me, very, made me very angry. Of course it was the fuck. <laughs> uh, all right. So a couple of questions about some other guys, Josh Uche, um, follow up to last week. I, there was a lot of talk about Uche uh, a lot of people were excited about Uche. Uh, are you still there, or are you kind of are, are people coming down from that high last week? Well, um, a couple things on that. Uh, this was abbreviated, so this practice, so it was hard to tell exactly what he was doing. He did not play on the inside in this practice. He was so he was on the outside. He was playing basically Matt Judon's spot. Um, I did ask the um, the very uh, media friendly Bill Belichick about Josh Uche <laughs> and his press conference. Yes. Uh, which is always fun. Uh, I'm just looking for the question and answer. Uh, I asked him, I said, I said, Josh Uche played a ton. Uh, hasn't played a ton in his first couple of years here. Steve Belichick called him a big piece of the puzzle for this defense. And last week we saw him line up inside, outside. Is that because you're trying to figure out where he's best? Or do you think, despite not playing a lot to this point, he's capable of wearing multiple hats? for you guys on defense. And he said, uh, well, we'll see how it goes. I agree. I think he's, uh, he is a big piece of our defense. We'll see exactly what he turns out to be. Uh, so Bill saying that he's a big puzzle piece backing up Steve. That was interesting. Um, I, I do think, 
I do think that the the piece puzzle piece is the 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 key words for Josh Uche because I don't think that they know where he's ultimately going to play and what he's going to do. And then I followed up and I said, do you think he has that inside outside versatility versatility similar to what we've seen out of Dante Hightower in the past here? Uh, I'm not comparing him to Dante Hightower. I'm just saying, do you think he has those traits that could he do something similar? And Bill says, it's a stretch to compare almost anybody to Hightower. You're talking about <laughs> one of the best linebackers that's ever played here. You idiot. Um, so, I mean, like I want everybody knows I'm not comparing Josh Uche to Dante Hightower. Like I'm not, and I would never do that in a million years, but just, you know, could he be a mini junior training wheels version of Dante Hightower being inside on early downs outside on, on later downs, which I think that's what it looks like they're doing. But you know, of course, Bill just wanted to throw a loogie at me. So thank you, Bill. I'll have another. You heard it here first. Greg Bedard. Thanks. Josh Uche, the next Dante Hightower. Um, <laughs> Nelson, Nelson Aguilar. Uh, where's he fitting in right now with the upper echelon of the wide receiver class? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I, I did not watch him very much in this practice. So, you know, maybe somebody else reported something, but I thought he, you know, I, I think he's been out there a lot. I know the first practice, you know, he was out there a lot with the sort of the starters and, um, you know, it's Devonte Parker and Nelson Aguilar a lot. And then they sort of filter things around, but, uh, it was tough to tell in this practice. There wasn't a whole lot that they were doing and it was mostly run focused when they were looking at things. All right, three rapid fire for you. New linebacker combinations. What are you seeing? What are you thinking? So I thought that was a little bit interesting because, you know, like we said, we did have Josh Uche there uh, last time. So uh, this time they basically went too deep, and it was Juwan Bentley and Jelani Tavai on the inside, uh, which was interesting. And then it was Mac Wilson and Harvey Lange. No camera grown. And I, I watched camera grown a little bit more in this practice. Uh, no brace on a guy who's this will be a second year back from ACL surgery. No brace. And I thought he looked a little gimpy, a little tired in the conditioning runs that they were doing. He was kind of lagging behind a little bit of a limp. So that's a little bit of a concern uh, with me. But I thought it was um, it's interesting that we haven't really seen a Bentley Mac Wilson pairing yet up front, but uh, still early. Marcus Jones at safety, not cornerback. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I uh, He was with the safeties and the grouping. Again, not totally surprising if you listen to the podcast with myself and Greg Cosell because Cosell said that he sees him as a honey badger type player, which I agree yeah. with. Um, and I had the same sort of evaluation as Marcus Jones that I see him more as a, uh, you want to play him in space and, you know, use that quickness and his, and his ball abilities. Um, to to make plays on the ball and uh so I think that's interesting and you know Jack Jones was with the cornerbacks but he took a step back this week it was Juwan Williams was on the outside with the second group um yeah so it was the first group was unchanged it was Malcolm Butler and Terrence Mitchell on the outside Jonathan Jones on the inside the second group was Juwan Williams for Jack Jones Jalen Mills on the other side and Miles Bryant was uh, the slot cornerback. Interesting. Interesting where Mills is going to fit in. A lot of people thought he was absolutely going to start on the outside. He might still do that, but maybe not. 
Uh, Bill said he's adjusted value due to the lack of special teams. Greg, you are not buying this. No. What's he smoking? No, he said that, you know, he, he was asked about sort of like his profiles and, you know, Daniel Jeremiah put out there, you know, hey, Cleveland Browns, this is what we're looking for at every position. Bill says they evaluate it every year, even though it's they've stayed pretty true. But he was asked about, uh, you know, have they changed the way they look at special teams, you know, and, and like, uh, you know, receivers, uh, kick returners, he said, definitely. They have adjusted that because they don't get many kicks. But he also said in terms of, you know, special teams that it's gone down. And I just anybody who sees his roster construction and that there are still guys like, you know, Matthew Slater and Cody Davis and and Justin Bethel and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that Bill still values that very much, sees value in terms of I think he he values special teams in setting the toughness for a team. And I think there's some legitimacy about that. I'd just like to see him strike a better balance. All right. Time for the Boston sports Journal.com member question of the day, 39 99 over at BSJ annual plan. Not only do you get top notch analysis of all the Boston pro sports, which by the way, two more things about the Celtics. If I don't say it, I'll regret it. Um, defensive rebounding. They have to keep Looney and Wiggins off of the offensive glass. That'll be huge. And also, both of these teams turn the basketball over a ton and the Celtics, you know, you can look at the numbers. They lose when they turn the ball over 16 or more times. It's pretty much a guarantee, especially against this Warriors kind of running gun offense and how quickly they can put points up defensive rebounding and turnovers are going to be gigantic. Just wanted to get that out there back mm -hmm. to BSJ. If you're a patch junkie, if you're listening to this podcast, of course you are. Membership at BSJ gives you access to a ton of video analysis that Greg does on the coaches' film and direct access to him in weekly chats. Greg, the member question of the day, I know you kind of teased this. It's about the 53. Uh, what is the question? Who is it from? And what is your answer, sir? So it's a straw man question. That I'm inventing myself. But, you know, just to, I, I've, I've done this the past couple of weeks. I forget what I wrote about on Sunday because we talk on Wednesday. And I'm like, oh, we should have talked about that. So <laughs> in case anyone's listening, I have my first 53-man roster projection, obviously way too early, and injuries are going to be part of the deal. Uh, but if you want to go over to BSJ, you can see the whole thing. Um, a couple of things that will probably jump out that I just wanted to explain a little bit. Um, I have Damian Harris being traded. Ooh. Um, yeah, and look, as opposed to, say, Chase Winovich, I don't want to trade Damian Harris, and, and I would rather not. And – Running back's one of those positions where you get a lot of injuries, so anything can happen. So I think that, in my mind, um, if the big thing is Kevin Harris, you know, the rookie Kevin Harris, does he show that he's ready? Like, is he like Ramondre Stevenson last year, where the team very early could say, we got something here. This kid's capable of X, Y, and Z. Uh, we can get rid of you know, somebody else if we need to, because he's ready to be a solid backup as a rookie. Can he Kevin Harris do that? I don't know. I'm projecting that. Yes, he does. And by the way, I nicknamed him Quadzilla in uh, my <laughs> first OTA report. The dude's legs are freaking huge, Nick. And, uh, and also, you know, is James White healthy and ready to be sort of the veteran in the room that he's there, that he's the third down back? I think the, both those things need to be true for the team to be able to say, we're going to trade Damian Harris. But look, Ramondae Stevenson was 
a burgeoning star at the end of last year that you could make a, you could make an argument the second half of the year. He was the best running back on this team, even though I love Damian Harris and I think he's a good player. He's going into his contract year. A, are you going to be able to sign him to a contract extension? B, are you going to franchise tag him? I would say the answers to both are no. So are you just going to go with the comp pick or are you going to try to get something for him at some point? And maybe this is a decision you make maybe closer to the trade deadline uh, where a team needs a running back and, and what have you. But so that was one of the more uh, controversial things on my, on my list. Um, a couple other competitions in my mind for roster spots. I think it's uh, Henry Anderson and Byron Cowart for the last defensive line spot. I think it's uh, Yadni Kajust and Andrew Stuber for the last offensive tackle spot. And here's one thing that one other thought that I had in doing this. Uh, I do not think Malcolm Butler's spot on this team is assured. I think it's, um, I think, you know, it's, it's going to be, you, you only keep so many, I mean, uh, what was it last year? Last year, the team only kept five running backs. I mean, cornerbacks. And that includes, J.C. Jackson. Right now, I have you already drafted two, so right now I have six on the roster, and that includes Malcolm Butler, Jonathan Jones, Terrence Mitchell, Jalen Mills, you know, Marcus Jones, and Jack Jones. What do you do with Sean Wade? If you keep Sean Wade, you're not keeping a seventh cornerback. That's not happening. Um, so who goes? Is it Jalen Mills? Is it Malcolm Butler? Is it Terrence Mitchell? So those are some of the key questions that I address in my 53-man roster projection if people want to see it and dive into it. Uh, we update this. Well, I'll probably update it after the mandatory minicamp, after sort of the offseason. I'll have another version, and then we'll be going into training camp. My pick would be Joan Williams. Just get him out of here. Yeah, he hasn't oh, he's definitely, he's definitely gone. I, he's definitely he's off the roster. He's going to go. He's Greg. I'm Nick. Go Celtics. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>